Well, um, it's so exciting to be part of a community and the life that's flowing. And I actually drove past here uh, yesterday afternoon and there was a whole lot of people here working, loading with the Christmas child gifts, loading up the trailers and everything. You're a fantastic body of people and there are so many things happening that are often not celebrated or even noticed. So it is a joy to be part of the body of Christ. Amen. And that does lead me to my message that I want to speak on this morning, which is about not being ashamed of the gospel. I have my wrong glasses, but that's all right. We'll certainly get by without that. But in uh, Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And, you know, I can understand a non-Christian person's issues with the Christian faith. I was a very active atheist before I got converted to Christ. I was in the public arena with all of that stuff, and I felt I had some very good points to put forward and some axes to grind, and uh, it wasn't until I had a true encounter with God that things started to change. So I can understand that. But what I can't understand is how so many Christians seem to be ashamed to be Christians or ashamed of the gospel or very apologetic about the Christian faith. Now, I know we have some bad history. And by the way, guys, I want to tell you, I I love history and study history. Some of it is greatly overstated. um, Of some of the things that have happened. But I know we have some bad history. I know we have had some failures and some hiccups and some disappointments. I know all of that. But, and on, by the way, and let me say this, I really don't like the bumper sticker that says, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Because do you know what that states? It states that as long as we know Jesus, he doesn't care about our behavior. Uh, we're guaranteed an, an eternity with him. But if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter how many wonderful things you do, you go to hell. That's a shocking indictment on who God is. Now, I know there's aspects of truth in it. It's not the whole truth. It's not at all. But it's a shocking indictment. And the people we are meant to love, that is the unsaved. I, I was once one of them. I cannot tell you how offensive that is. It does nothing to draw people to Christ at all. I can still remember what it was like to think as an atheist. It's just so offensive. And so what we need to do, and this is what I want to talk about uh, today, we need to celebrate not only the gospel, but what I am going to focus on, and it's just a very brief kaleidoscope of our wonderful 2,000 years of Christian history. Our wonderful 2,000 years. Some of you may know all of this. It's just revision. Some of you may hear some things that you didn't know. But this is what we need to take with us everywhere we go. So I'm going to bounce across a few things of what Christianity has achieved in history. 
no other religion or philosophy or teaching or nation or movement has changed the world for the better like Christianity has. Now, everything that I'm going to share with you this morning is documented. I have put two books in the uh, library. Charmaine, if you're here, you won't know that yet because I put them in this morning. Two books are called How Christianity Changed the World. They're two thick books and they document miles and miles of this stuff, way more than I can ever go to. It's stunning reading. It's worshipful reading. So they're in the library if you want to have a look at them um, after Charmaine's catalogued them and done whatever she needs to do with them. So let me start. Let's start with charity and hospitals. It was Jesus' concept of charity that introduced giving without expecting anything in return. That was, apart from the Jewish tradition, that was revolutionary. In the Roman times where Jesus came to earth, you would only give as an investment. You would give to somebody feeling that you would get a greater return back. And one of the people you never gave to in the Roman culture was the poor and the underprivileged because their poverty would normally go along with or lead to bad health and they were going to die anyway. So why give them money or help or service or time? Why bother? Because giving was only seen as an investment. And Jesus changed all of that as the Gospels make um, so clear. But where this went further is the church picked up immediately on this example and championed this. So almost all the early churches, and some of these documentations still exist, had huge lists of the people of the poor and the underprivileged in the community who they were ministering to, who they were feeding, who they were caring for. And then out of that, they began to take these people into their homes to be able to give them better care and better nourishment. And then even that wasn't enough. So guess what they created? Hospitals. Hospitals. The first hospital was created by a wonderful man. His name was St. Basil of Caesarea in 369 AD. That was the first ever hospital. And listen to this, guys. For the next 400 years, nobody but the church created hospitals. Nobody. For the next 400 years. At that time, some of the other nations began to pick it up and it became the wonderful institution that it is today. But for the next 400 years, only the Christians were ministering to the poor and the sick. Only the Christians were taking people into their homes. And only the Christians were building hospitals which normally were attached to a monastery so all the the, uh, people in the monastery could minister. Only the Christians were doing this. So every time you drive past a hospital, you can say, we, in the name of Jesus, built this institution that millions of people every day get help from. Preserving literature. This is very important. You're probably all aware that books... And a binder and everything that some of you have got today is a very modern day format, basically came out of the Reformation. 
So in the early years, if you wanted to give somebody a copy of the Bible, what you did, you got a manuscript out that rolls up and you copied it word for word. And it wasn't only the Bible, but it was so much wonderful literature that is back in those ages has been copied by hand, which takes years of work, onto manuscripts. The church was doing that. The church was responsible for that, for the historical documents, for the religious, the Christian documents, for so many other events. All those documents were hand copied by the church. It became so prolific that they said, let's make this available to the public. So they had mainly monks working in monasteries all their life, copying manuscripts and making them access to people. So guess what they built to enable people to have access to all this documentation free? Libraries. We, Christchurch, built all the libraries. Libraries were unheard of. We built them to enable people with no money to come to the libraries and have access to all this wonderful material. And as it grew and grew and grew, guess what we did? We decided we should teach people to read and write so more people could enjoy it. So guess what came out of that? Schools and education. Christianity invented all the schools and all the education. It was not known before then. Now, there were some great scholars and people and various people around, but in the format that we sort of understand it today of education, of schools, of universities, all those original institutions were raised, funded, and operated by Christians. And that's how literacy, as we understand it today, grew, particularly in the Western world. And most of it was free. Most of it, the people couldn't pay for anyway. And the masses, as they got bigger and bigger, were called to come to it. As the world began to get busier and so many things happened, Christianity championed the cause of common labor. No longer was it seen as demeaning. And we've taught a lot about this this year, that there is no such thing as sacred and secular. To the holy, all things are holy. And so out of that, a worker working in the streets was told that his vocation had come from God. And he needed, she needed to approach it out of a way that this is your calling in life. That was unheard of until Christianity got into that field. In modern times, it advanced science. Go through all the major medical events, and I'm not just talking about medication, I'm talking about methods of surgery, and I'm talking about so many of those other things. You will find the percentage is huge. 
from a world's point of view, it's embarrassingly huge. I, I'm careful to give a percentage. I have one in my head. I'd need to do a bit more research. Let me just say, the majority of all those life-changing inventions have either come from a Christian or a Jew. Worldwide. The majority of them. The first heart transplant. I've got to be careful. I'd get on my horse and I would get going all morning. All spearheaded predominantly by either Christians or Jewish people. The list continues. Political, social and economic freedom built out of the Bible's understanding and teaching on those matters. The, uh, the whole amazing stuff of art and architecture, music and literature that people still treasure today was preserved by Christianity, produced primarily by Christianity and inspired by the Bible. And so much of that, a lot's been destroyed in recent years, decades, but so much of that is still available in many of the great art places and, and other, other places like that, and it can still be seen. If any of you have seen it, I've been to the one in San Francisco. It just leaves you breathless to see these huge paintings, sometimes depicting scenes of the Bible, sometimes just depicting life. They are stunning and they have been produced by people with a passionate love for Jesus, and they've been able to express it on the canvas. Uh, a number of churches that I go to, particularly in the States, <coughs> while the worship's on, they'll get people up the front and they'll be painting and doing anything out of what they feel the Holy Spirit's leading them from the worship. Phenomenal. It's phenomenal to see those things. When the Industrial Revolution broke out in the 1700s, the 18th century, it was Christianity that raised up and challenged the working conditions, particularly child labour. Only children were small enough to go up a chimney and clean the inside of it. Imagine what a job like that would be. And so they were being exploited and used for that, often just for food. Christianity stepped in, stopped it, put together labor laws, put together all sorts of things. You know the story about William Wilberforce gave his whole life to have slavery abolished and achieved it. He loved Jesus. He didn't start his life that way and it wasn't until his conversion that he picked up that burden because it was inspired by God. Let me touch justice, and I'm going to stop there and share some other things. Everybody in the Western culture likes to say, so no one is above the law. <clears throat> we love the idea, I shouldn't say we, I do. Love the idea that if a traffic cop stops and gives me a ticket, and then the next day in his private car, he's speeding, he gets a ticket too. Because he's not above the law. And we say, well, nobody is above the law. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you had money, if you were a king or a queen or a person in any form of authority, you were above the law. The law didn't touch you. So what changed all that? Well, our wonderful Christian forefather, Ambrose, 
set the stage for the signing of the Magna Carta in 1215, which meant that nobody could buy or own the law, including the king or queen, and some of them were even executed for violation of the law. Now, lawyers, I love law and justice and that stuff. Lawyers today can still quote the Magna Carta. It still stands from 1215 to now. It's undergirding the law in the British system, which most of the Western world has adopted. And it's primary based on the fact that everybody is subject to the same degree of justice as has been implemented in society as per what? The Scriptures. Amazing. Amazing. That's where that came from. It lifted civilization to a much higher plateau in the Western world. It's based, it's based, the Magna Carta is based on the Ten Commandments on a whole lot of other stuff out of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. That's where it was based on. And as you know, the whole British Constitution and everything was built on the same basis. I want to read to you from an atheist who I still enjoy following. His name is John Steinrucken. He's a well-known atheist and writer and American thinker, and he recently said this, he hates Christianity, or he hates the Christian faith. He hates the concept of who God is. Listen to what he wrote. Religious faith, meaning Christian faith, has made possible the advancement of Western civilization. The glue that has held Western civilization together over the centuries is a Judeo-Christian tradition. Western civilization's survival, including the survival of open secular thought, depends on the continuance within our society of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Our enemies are not afraid of the gospel. See, he is arrogant enough, uh, forgive me if he ever listens to this, he is arrogant enough and black and white enough to give credit where credit's due. And whenever people get up and attack Christianity in the wrong way, he attacks them, not because he's trying to defend Christianity, but he hates ignorance. He cannot tolerate fools. And he'll jump up and they'll say, well, the church has not. And he'll jump up and say, what a lot of rubbish. Go and read your history books. And he attacks people who attack the church, not to defend Jesus, but to defend what has been the basic foundation of the prosperity that the Western society has enjoyed. And he attributes all that to the Christian ethic. See, God is primarily revealed through the decisions of human beings and the events of human history. And he still will be when people look back on the 21st century. That will still happen. They have to look back on what you and I have produced in society to celebrate that. He's primarily revealed through the decision of human beings and the events of human history. So most of the successful principles of life relating to justice, economics, agriculture, food and nutrition, even health and cleanliness are found in the Bible. Many of you will know about the Great Plague. 
the great plague was primarily spread. There's debate about its original cause. Probably it came through the waterways. But it was spread by people throwing the excrement out of their windows. And if you lived in the second or third story, you could throw your excrement out. And the poor people and all those people lived on the bottom floor where it was all landing on the streets. What has that got to do with Scripture? We are told in Leviticus to bury our excrement or God will not move amongst us. See, the Bible gets right down to that level. And if they had have obeyed that, there would never have been the great plague. It couldn't have taken place. So we're right down to all of those things. And I could go on. I'm just not going to. You can do more study yourself. But the only reason why, and this is what I want you to hear, as well as hearing this wonderful heritage we have, the only reason why we know Christianity works is not because we read it in the Bible, as important as that is. It's because people have applied it to their lives and the fruit is made manifest. You and I wouldn't know these things worked if it wasn't for our 2,000 years of Christian history that we can look back on and see that these things have been applied and what they have done, not only to us, but to the society we're a part of, whether they believe in Jesus or not. Amen? That's how we know. You can't know this stuff works until you apply it. We have 2,000 years of the betterment of society and people and life and sickness and suffering and on the list goes because Christians took God at his word and, and put these things into practice and saw the fruit of it. And so have many non-Christians. They can't do it the way we can under the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you follow basic Christian principles, your life cannot help but benefit as a result of it. It's proven. Currently, the moral base of Christianity is being dismantled. I'm not a fear monger. But in my knowledge of history, what has brought the downfall of most great societies, and I'm using the word great carefully, like the Roman Empire, has been moral decay. Moral decay, any society that it's less, that sexual energies run riot has ultimately collapsed as a result. There's a warning right there. Some of that warning needs to be made within the church too. I'm talking about relationships outside of marriage. But most of the other principles, such as how finance works, how pollution destroys, how the law of gravity requires us to act in certain ways, why houses are built in certain ways, why they have to or meant to have a parapet on them, so much of this stuff, all are here and still remain because humanity realises without them it will perish and they're all prescribed in the Bible. All these came from the Judeo-Christian ethic. And we can point them out in our Bible. See, our Saviour and King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and His influence on loyal 
adventurous and courageous followers produced all of this in society, which you and I enjoy living in the Western world and wonderful New Zealand every day of our lives. So don't ask me to be ashamed of the gospel, I'm not. I'm proud of it. And I'm proud of what it has done. And I'm glad that people who don't know Jesus also get benefit from it. I'm very pleased about that. I think it is absolutely amazing what Christianity, the church, has achieved in 2,000 years. And I could have gone on all morning, but I want to shift slightly. What do we do if we're feeling a little bit ashamed? What do we do if we're feeling a little bit embarrassed for being a Christian? Hopefully I've given you some ammunition when people say to you, well, what's Christianity ever achieved? You can say, how long have you got? And start rattling off all of this stuff. But in Hebrews 12 too, we read this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus despised the shame the world tried to put on him. It means that, what this means is that when the world tried to shame him and to tempt him to abandon the cause of God, he was saying, shame, I despise you. I will not be ashamed. I will not yield to you. I will not give you any satisfaction because he stayed focused on the joy and the treasure he had in the Lord and the fact that for all eternity, he would be seated beside him bringing transformation to the very society that was putting him to death. That's what we do with shame. I am not going to talk about American politics. All I will say is, I love expressions of the gospel and love. And I love the clip of Obama that some of you may have seen. He was giving a speech and an old guy in a military uniform set, stood up and interjected quite rudely and was eventually led out. As he was led out, Obama says this. He says, well, what do we do with this? He said, well, the man has obviously served in our military. We've got to respect that. And the man is aged. The, the guy was, you know, quite old in years. We've got to respect that. And he made one other comment about the man, and he said, we've got to respect that. Don't get, all of, get in all of these arguments. Just turn up on November the 8th and vote. And I thought, wow. Wow. This guy interjects, abuses him, be rude, and Obama studies this guy in a few seconds and brings to light what we could celebrate about that man's life. There's the nature and character of Christ right there. And I'm not saying he's always like that. I mean, that's not where I'm going to. Can you imagine if all of us took those attitudes with people who are trying to beat us down, make us feel ashamed? Can you imagine the change it would make to society? Incredible. We should be making statements like that every day. We really should. 
The great tragedy of life is that humanity became separated from God and no religion, good works or human endeavours can fix us. Only Jesus can. And the way he fixes us is by connecting us to God through, through his name and then calling us to be living, living expressions of the gospel. When the apostle Paul went into Rome, it was a common entertainment then. This will surprise some of you, but they didn't have TV. Uh, it was a common entertainment then was people to stand up on a soap opera and preach, not preach the Bible, but preach about anything. But if they wanted to gather a crowd, they needed to be able to say something that addressed the ills of society or the things people were bothered about or troubling people and all of that. And if not, they'd often get ridiculed because people were allowed to heckle and interject. It was all part of it. But sooner or later, the crowds would just leave. So along comes Paul. Apart from Christ, in my opinion, one of the, certainly one of the most brilliant and amazing men that's ever walked this earth. So along comes Paul. And instead of addressing all of these ills in society, which later he did, he stands up in front of all these people and he addresses the one great ill of society that causes all the others. And he talks about the fact that they need to be reconciled with the one true God. And a riot started and all sorts of other things started. But in the midst of it all, so many people came to Paul and those were with him and said, how can I be reconciled to the one true God? That's where it has to start from. Now, it doesn't stop there. Out of that needs to flow the fruits that Jesus wants to see invested in society. But Paul's letter to the Romans, which you all have in your Bibles, is about God and the good news that comes from God and how sinners can be delivered from his righteous judgment and reconciled to him because that's the key element that we have to go after to see people embrace everything that God has for their own lives and the lives around them. And this is what it means when Paul says the gospel is the power of God. The power, and we've talked a lot about this this year, is a dunamis power. It refers to the might, energy, force, and strength that dwells within God that we get access to when we come to know him through Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, and I'm done, it, it doesn't stop here. It's the beginning. It's the opening. Praise God that in 2,000 years, our wonderful Christian brothers and sisters didn't stop there. They went out to society to make a change. And look what they did. I've covered a lot of it this morning, well, only a tiny piece of it. But some of, look what they did. There's still more work to be done. We still need to be out there creating, transforming, and influencing we still do. There's still new things to be discovered in all of these arenas, and God will do it through his people, primarily. Isaiah 58, 11 and 12. The Lord will continually guide you 
and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. God restores us and then says, now go out and restore society. You are trained and equipped to do it. You have what is required not to do it all tomorrow, but whatever part of it God wants you to do tomorrow, he's already given you in, in preparation for it. When we look out on the world today, instead of condemning it, our cry needs to be something has to be done and it has to be done now. And Jesus I'm available. Something has to be done and it has to be done now. And Jesus, I'm available. If there's anything the American does, election does show us, that we can't look to humanity to solve life's problems. We can only look to God and those people that he inspires to do so. And brothers and sisters, that's you and I. That is you and I. Let's get our own life cleaned up and get back to focusing on the answer for the world's ills, which is Jesus Christ. Both our saviour and our amazing Christian heritage demand this of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you implemented a life-changing gospel that has done amazing things for humanity for 2,000 years. Incredible things, Father, and we rejoice in that, Lord. We are not ashamed. We are delighted to be a part of it. And Lord, I pray that people will look back on our time and say what amazing things those people did, what amazing people those people are. Continue to bless us, Father. Continue to help us that we don't grow weary and doing good things, continue to inspire us to bring the change to society, Father, that you gave your life for society to have. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.